Hello, everybody, and how's it going? Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Sorry about the delay. We're having technical issues, but finally we are here. I'm bringing you today somebody who is an excellent political scholar, somebody somebody that I know you guys really enjoy. Dr. Paul Gottfried, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me on again. Absolutely. So Dr. Gottfried is, of course, the editor-in-chief over at Chronicles Magazine. He's got a number of different books that you should definitely check out. But today I'm talking to him about a back and forth that he's been having with Michael Anton, who is himself a well-respected uh, political commentator in the conservative sphere, in the right-wing sphere. And they have been going back and forth. I guess originally, uh, you know, there, there was some disagreement about the idea of natural rights versus tradition. And then Michael Anton was responding to you and then another anonymous uh, blogger by the name of Z-Man. And so there's been the kind of this dialogue back and forth on whether natural rights are kind of the core foundation around which people should understand kind of their relationship with each other or the state or whether tradition is more the thing in which our kind of relations and different peoples and nations are set. And so I wanted to bring you in today to talk a little about this, because I think for a lot of people, when they hear natural rights, they think, well, this is kind of the basis of America, right? This is the basis of the founding. This is, this is kind of the Lockean principles that are imported into uh, the Declaration of Independence. So if you're if you're talking about natural rights, aren't we talking about the kind of thing that's fundamental to the American understanding of governance? Uh, I, I think it is certainly right now. Um, and uh, I think the the left and the right, the official left and the official right, um, are agreed that the United States was founded on the basis of natural right principle. Uh, Lincoln invokes natural right. Um, we find this um, in the Declaration of Independence, some of the state constitutions that were created and promulgated uh, during the American Revolution and immediately thereafter. And of course, there's a famous work by Lewis Hartz um, on uh, America being founded as a liberal country. And uh, Hartz defines liberalism in terms of the Lockean principles upon which the, the American Republic was built. So there, there is, in fact, a, um, a, a, a long entrenched belief that the United States is founded on the basis of natural right. Uh, and that creates, one might say, sort of our, our, our shared ideology as Americans. Do you feel like that's a, a more modern construction, a more current construction of the, of the party system? Or do you think that that would be a, a reasonable understanding of kind of how the, the fundamental principles of the United States lined up. Yeah, I, I think that, that that is, I think it's been, inter, the United States has been intermittently understood as a country based on natural right. Um, it, that, that language does appear uh, in the Declaration of Independence, uh, and you find it in, in the Virginia, New Hampshire, other state constitutions. There's some reference to natural right. Uh, and the constitutions are typically used to defend the right of property and the right of religious conscience. Um, uh, these things are seen as natural right. Then the natural right language disappears for a long period of time. And uh, there's an invocation of the constitution, invocations of the Bible all the time, because the America is a profoundly Protestant country through most of its history. So something like biblical morality um, and even biblical precedent for the founding of the American Republic is, is frequently invoked. Um, language about America as a commonwealth. Uh, then um, uh, cert certainly uh, in the 20th century, uh, natural right becomes important, although it becomes transmuted into something called human rights. 
which I think is in many ways sort of a logical extension of, of the notion of natural right, uh, although the West Coast Straussians try to distinguish between the two. And uh, today, the uh, conservative establishment, of which probably neither one of us is a member, um, uh, affirms natural right and uh, inborn individual rights as the the basis of American politics and morality. So I think it's interesting that you pointed out there, and Michael Anton does try to do this in his response to you, that separation between natural rights and human rights. Obviously, that's not your uh, position specifically, but how do you think somebody like Anton would try to differentiate between this? Okay, natural rights are here, they're core to the American founding, they're core to the Constitution, Declaration, those kind of things. Human rights, this is something new. This is something that's created by kind of modernity and our in our understanding of kind of the current uh, civil rights regime. How would they separate those two? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, what Anton does <clears throat> is say that by natural right, <clears throat> he means the right that uh, the rights that John Locke uh, proposed and which uh, are found in a slightly modified version in the American Declaration of Independence. It's <clears throat> basically life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or if you will, you know, life, liberty, and property, <clears throat> private property. Mm -hmm. So uh, Anton's argument would be that that these inborn individual rights stop with the, the list that, you know, goes back to John Locke in the 1680s, 1670s, 1680s. <clears throat> and those are the ones that are affirmed uh, by, by the American Republic, the early Republic, and can be found in the Declaration of Independence, which West Coast Straussians or the Claremont School would maintain is the true founding document of the United States. Whereas most people on the traditional right would say it's the Constitution. You know, the Declaration, they view the Declaration of Independence um, simply as a declaration of, uh, of, of, of American sovereignty in relation to the English motherland from which the, the the early United States was was cutting that they were cutting their ties. Um, I, I think traditional conservatives, of which I identify myself, obviously, may go too far in insisting that natural right has nothing to do with the American founding, mm -hmm. um, and that you know the Constitution is much more important than the Declaration of Independence. And uh, Jefferson's rhetorical flourish about natural rights was something just written by a an exuberant young man, and he didn't be taken all that seriously. Uh, my position is actually somewhere in the middle. Um, I would say that natural rights um, are a tradition uh, in the United States, a legal political tradition, but they're certainly not the only one. And uh, uh, I think making this the centerpiece of the American political experience um, can have very, very harmful results. Yeah, and that's something you you definitely go on about at length, you know, trying to to understand why this might be a dangerous precedent on which to set your mm -hmm. entire understanding of the American experience. Because, you know, one way that I've often seen, you know, more mainstream conservatives attempt to draw this delineation is between positive and negative rights. Right? Negative rights are the things the government can't do. They're not mm -hmm. allowed to, to do these certain things. Positive rights are things that the government is compelled to do on your behalf. And so this is kind of where they attempt to draw the line, though I think it's not even clear to me that that's really something that a contemporary conservatives would draw the line at, because it does seem to me that they have bought in largely to the idea not just of natural rights, but to human rights. I think 
you would run into most senators or congressmen in the GOP and they would affirm the existence mm -hmm. of human rights that need to be perpetuated, not just in the United States, but globally. Yes, no, I, I think it's right. When, when, once you say that these are universal rights that inherit in each individual, um, independently of civil society uh, and civil society, you know, they, we, we uh, supposedly according to this, we come into the world and we develop social relations as already bearers of these rights, which I suppose are injected into us, you know, as fetuses or something or other. I don't know exactly what process these people have in mind. Um, therefore, therefore, you know, the right to bear arms uh, is not part of a legal tradition um, or an historical right. Um, it is a, a right that that has uh, with which we come into the world. And as as the uh, conservative natural rights theorists would, would argue, it's it's a right that comes from God. Um, left wing human rights, Lockeans and so forth, people like John Rawls usually develop other theories in explaining you know, how individuals develop these rights. Uh, but I, I do agree that, you know, there's no reason to stop the list with, with you know, three rights. We can just go on uh, on the basis of our superior moral consciousness and now include the right of sexual transitioning, for instance, to be a human, to be a human right and a natural right with which we come into this world. So that, that that's why it could be a very dangerous precedent. It, it also creates an imperative to give other people these rights. I mean, what, why should we, uh, you know, hog them all uh, uh, in the United States? Why are we not uh, actively striving to give our rights to other people, which of course is happening in Ukraine, right? I mean, it's not enough that we get the military aid. We have to help them, you know, sexually transition, have gay marriage, whatever we now consider to be a human or a natural right. Yeah, it seems like the the lack of any kind of binding mechanism, any kind of particularity lends this to a, a Whig history that will always be growing. Right. If these mm -hmm. if these rights were discovered somewhere by John Locke, you know, he, he found these these three rights that existed throughout human history. But, you know, we, we discovered them at this time. Why would not more rights be discoverable? In fact, that's in the in the Bill of Rights, right, that the, not all mm -hmm. of these rights have been enumerated. And so we will discover more of them. And so if these things are objective and they're universal and they exist for everyone, why wouldn't we continually discover these new rights mm -hmm. that would then need to be spread? That's just, a, like you said, kind of a, a logical extension of the idea that we will always be progressing and discovering these universal things that we should then apply to everyone. Yeah, I mean, even, even if we want to take the conservative, so-called conservative position and say they come from God, why does God limit you know his uh, gift of rights to the to the three that 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 John Locke provides us with in uh, uh, Second Treaties of Government. Well, why can't these rights, you know, these God-given rights, include all kinds of other things? You know, the the uh, the the, equal, the right to have equal marriage with, um, uh, with with gays or with with heterosexuals and so. What? Why isn't this a right that God has given to us? And of course, they, they would probably object to that point and say that it goes against the Bible or goes against religious teachings or natural law. But, uh, you know, that, that, that is to introduce something else uh, beside natural law, you know, in, into their um, uh, into their moral reasoning. By the way, I am not against what Catholics call natural law. I think that's fine. Um, I mean, if, if we that there are things that 
through natural reason we are able to know a right and wrong, uh, and that and that we are able, we should be able to judge positive existing law on the basis of these moral imperatives, like you know you don't you don't murder people, you don't steal, and so I have no problem with that. Um, but I I, th- I think that natural right is something else. It is it is uh, these inborn individual um, uh, permission, you know, to do certain things, and also the uh, that you're, you're not uh, you're supposed to limit government uh, by by doing this. Of course, you don't really limit government in the end because the government can always reinterpret what you're doing and saying this is an extension of human rights or natural rights. Right? I mean, we just discovered this. Uh, and this is the language the left uses all the time, that we have a human or a natural right, whichever term you choose to use to have gay marriage or to have the government uh, uh, help children sexually transition in schools and so forth. So, uh, you know, my, my, my question is, um, you know, how do you keep the government? At, and of course, the government does interpret, even according to Locke, it does interpret what it does interpret natural right, because when we cede power to the government, it's on the condition that it will enforce these rights for us, but we're also dependent on the government at that point, you know, to interpret natural right. <clears throat> well, and I think that's such a really important distinction that the you put there between, uh, you know, natural law and natural rights, because I think a lot of people will conflate mm-hmm. those immediately. Natural law is something that I think from which all healthy traditions would spring, right? They, mm-hmm. they, would, they would They would proceed forth from the fact that this is how society seems to naturally order itself. These are the laws of which nature seems to follow. These are the behaviors by which we seem to be rewarded and flourish. And so from that, we develop traditions that then take us kind of along along that mm-hmm. way. But natural rights are a different assertion, right? And I think for a lot of people, that's hard because they, and Anton kind of alludes to this, he, he or he says it directly, he doesn't allude to it. He says, basically, if you abandon natural rights, then you're just going to moral relativism. There isn't, there can't possibly be any moral truth outside of these rights because if you just go to traditions then the only question is which tradition and now we're just emotivizing we're just you know we're just favoring our own uh our own uh you know uh being being close to something our own locality rather than any kind of an actual reason or understanding and so i i think that's weird because the idea of natural rights you know comes comes very late in the game and i don't think everyone prior to john locke was a moral relativist but that seems to be kind of the implication, right? Without these rights, we can't possibly have any kind of real understanding of morality. Yeah, but I, I think West Coast Straussians and others who buy into natural right very often see them as an extension of natural law, and they're not. You know, I, I think I think they're they're different. I think that natural rights are something developed in the 16th, 17th centuries in response to a certain historical situation, uh, which is. Uh, the uh, uh, excess of power, what are perceived as excess of power by by monarchs, uh, and also the persecution of religious minorities. And natural right thinking develops in Catholic and Protestant countries, both about the same time, uh, typically in, in response to uh, tyrants you know, who are trying to take away the religious and other rights you know, of, the, of their subjects. Um, and you know, I, I can understand why that theory, together with the state of nature and so forth, uh, develops when it did, was very popular among the Scottish Covenanters in the uh, second half of the 16th century. But it doesn't mean that I have to believe it, or that I think it is the you know the best way uh, to understand uh, political right. So 
if if natural rights aren't the best way to understand that and by the way guys i see some people are, are putting in some super chats i just want to let you know that due to the technical difficulties we might not have time to get to all those so i appreciate any donations but uh we we were already late and everything and i don't know how long <laughs> uh, dr godfrey's connection will hold for us, so i want to focus on our conversation here uh but uh but kind of given the fact that, you know, a lot of people think that natural rights are the only way to defend this, maybe it would be worthwhile explaining to people. This is something I think that would have been obvious for, for most of human history, but, but bear some explaining now. Why are traditions a robust defender of these things? Yeah, I, I think you have to understand that the United States is a country in flux, and now it's going through a moral political revolution. Uh, being sponsored by public administration and the woke left, the woke left state church. Um, and uh, the traditions have become weaker. I mean, I understand this, you know, religious views have, uh, have become diluted, traditional religious views, belief in the Bible, uh, and also the view that we have, you know, traditions going back to medieval England, such as the, the right to bear arms, which is possessed by every free man. Um, we we don't we don't uh, uh, we don't think that way any longer, and I, I can I can see uh, why people would would be attracted to natural right, as the French say, as a piece aller, you know, just as it's just there, you just grab on, grab onto it for for want of anything better. Um, but you know, I, I don't think it's a satisfactory replacement for for tradition, historical rights. Uh, other things that uh, Edmund Burke spoke about, I think, quite correctly, um, in in his critical response to the French Revolution, and uh, I think I think it would be be better, cer certainly in 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 terms of you know a sense of community, if we talked about traditions or, or biblical morality or something like that, instead of individual entitlements, which is really what we talk about with 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 uh, natural right. Um, it does not create a sense of community. It's, you know, it creates a sense of I, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, I have these rights. And uh, I think the kind of mentality you find among many libertarians in America is exactly what Lockean natural right leads to, you know, when, when it's made, you know, sort of the centerpiece of your morality and politics. Um, so I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't consider natural right the answer to the breakdown of our traditions. I think rather the traditions have to be recovered. Um, uh, how this is going to work, you know, I don't know. Um, but I, I would think that would be the precondition for uh, being able to reason as a community about moral matters. Uh, uh, I agree with Alistair McIntyre on this. I mean, there has to be sort of a community um, uh, understanding of what is right and wrong. Uh, and it's not, you know, my individual entitlement. Uh, it's it's my responsibility to other people, and their responsibility to me. Yeah, vir virtue has to be grounded in a in a tradition that can't mm -hmm. exist in and of itself. Absolutely. So, yes. I, I think a lot of people, you know, this this is a huge problem for I think a lot of the mainstream conservative, uh, especially the libertarian crowd, uh, kind of attached to it is there's this idea that it's a battle between collectivism and individualism. And so they think that rights are the key because if they just mm -hmm. keep demanding individual rights, then that will break the collective hold to try to compel people's behavior. And so it's rights, 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 rights. 
However, I think you, you know the 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 case that seems far more powerful is you know a lot of the people who come over from the left to the right of the kind of the the, the I didn't leave the left the left left me types they 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 harp on this we have to get back to rights we have to get back to the individual but by putting the individual first it feels like we are now isolating people mm-hmm. in a way that keeps them from having any moral force any in building any actual cultural momentum that would allow the reassertion of a different understanding of what the government's role should be, how it should be involved in families, all of these different things. Mm -hmm. It feels like by asserting rights, we're opening the door more to a state that would say, seize a child and force them to go through your transition than we are creating an inviolable, inviolable family unit based on a collective understanding of how children should be raised. No, I, I I agree with you. Um, You know, the, uh, the, the atomization of society is not the response to, uh, uh, to government overreach and government's attempt to to impose woke morality on us, um, there has to be communal effort. I, I, the community communities are much stronger than individuals, for one thing. Um, and uh, you know the uh, uh, the resistance has to be in the name of community. By the way, West Coast Straussians probably would not deny most of the things that I have said. They would just insist that the centerpiece, the moral political centerpiece, should be natural right. Mm-hmm. But um, most of them are very traditional <clears throat> on, you know, just about any political, cultural question. I mean, I I very rarely, if ever, disagree with them. It's just when the uh, Michael Anton and I are, poli- are political allies. It's just when the question turns to natural right that we're on opposite sides. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's really important. A lot of people, you know, I'll I'll talk to someone like Chris Rufo and Chris is awesome. He's doing amazing work, you know, and but we'll have a. A, di- a disagreement about some point of you know strategy or some point of uh you know k- kind of origination of something and people say oh well this means that you guys are just at loggerheads you can't work together and it's like no that's not the case just like you and anton you know you you're you're political allies you're pushing in the same direction you know th- this is not a uh, this is not a knockdown drag out about you know everything where it comes to political goals this is just trying to best understand you know how how the ball has moved forward the best how to ground these things so that you can be successful. So that's why I think the discussion is still valuable. Yeah, however, I think with, with, uh, with the conservative establishment, my unwillingness to concede the natural right argument has made me an outcast. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll never ask me onto programs. They'll never have me write for their anthologies or write articles for their magazine. And I, th- I think it's my, uh, my, my critical reservations about natural right that, that have made me an outcast um, and have made other paleoconservatives outcasts. Um, and, and most, you know, most paleoconservatives, I think, are united, you know, in their skepticism about natural right. And uh, I mean, you turn on Fox News and you think, you know, you're listening to John Locke uh, nonstop you know, on the natural rights question. Uh, I, I, I find the argument against abortion based on natural right to be ridiculous. Um, it's totally unconvincing. Uh, the uh, I, uh, I, I doubt that Locke would ever have imagined that the fetus has, you know, a natural right to life or something. Um, if you were, if you regard the fetus as a human being, destroying it is as homicide. I mean, it's as simple as that. You're just taking it. It's it's a unjust, unlawful taking of human life. Um, why do we have to start talking about uh, these imaginary natural rights? Uh, that that's 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 my response to the right to life argument so i think a lot of people would want to understand how a how a tradition's 
a kind of a return to tradition here to 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 pick up a meme how that would uh work in this scenario because i think the problem for a lot of people one reason that so many people grab for this this universal rights doctrine is that the idea of a shared tradition is almost beyond them now you know we're in this postmodern world so many people are broken mm-hmm. from their traditions they no longer uh, participate in you know kind of these traditions the the religions of their ancestors uh you know connecting to the folkways of of kind of uh, their people Th- this doesn't exist for a lot of people and so that's all that's left is kind of this vague appeal to this universal natural mm-hmm. right and that's the only mm-hmm. thing that can kind of forge the coalition so i think the question for a lot of people would be okay well if we're going to shift the basis of this focus what would we connect to and how would how would that work how would people who had been so thoroughly disconnected from a tradition find their way to something that could once again unite them in opposition against the left yeah i mean they would have to consider themselves a community um you know held together by among other things you know shared moral assumptions assumptions about human nature uh this this may be may be tough to do um at this point in time i i recognize it what i'm saying is the natural right argument just doesn't work very well mm-hmm. and even you know people who talk about natural right are really talking at each other because they come with very different notions of what these rights are the the, the people who are who are arguing about the you know right to life um are going to run smack dab into people who are saying well there's the right of the mother uh, to uh, reproductive right, and and for them that's a natural right, a human right. And you see, no, there's another one, another human right here, which goes back to Locke or someone, which I don't think even applies in this case. But uh, you simply, have, you know, I, I was it. Um, there, there, there is a uh, uh, was a Yale professor of law, of, of politics who wrote a book um, on uh, too many rights. You know, but you basically have human human rights or natural or, or what people posit as natural rights coming into conflict, and there has to be some kind of moral consensus uh, that 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 exists rather than the assertions of rights. Uh, and I, I I agree with that argument. Um, and of course, my, but you know the the problem is for a long time the, the real basis of American morality was biblical morality. And uh, now, you know, that this has sort of gone out the window and natural right has become sort of a, or, or people into, or human rights by now have become a substitute for that. But then people define human rights differently and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to stop with the, uh, the three big rights in John Locke. They have a much longer laundry list of rights, which they want. And they have also new rights. Um, uh, what, what I'm, I'm saying is I don't have the answer to all these problems. I mean, I'd like to go back to the way things were when I was a kid in the 1950s. It's not going to happen. But I, I think the natural rights argument is a dead end. You know? well, and uh, I'm simply calling attention to this. Um, I, I, I'm always telling people when I was in college, uh, we were given John Locke's second treatise to read and then Burke's reflections on the revolution in France. And I found Burke much more convincing. It's mm. just, you know, his description of man's corporate nature, uh, our social nature, you know, which we've been finding Karl Marx. I mean, uh, where, whereas Locke sort of atomized man with a constructivist society sounded highly implausible to me. I mean, I couldn't even, I couldn't wrap my brain around it. I still can't. Um, whereas I, you know, I have no, I have no, underst- no problem understanding uh, Burke's understand Burke's view of human nature of the social bond of the 
continuity of generations. All this stuff makes sense to me and seems necessary for a sound society. Interestingly, I ran into a, you know, I got some backlash myself from many mainstream conservatives because I was trying to explain the state of exception when it came to the the New Mexico gun ban and, and you know, kind of how that worked. And a lot of people got really riled up when I explained that, look, whether you hold the the right to own a firearm as, uh, you know, as a natural right or not, it doesn't matter if you don't have a tradition that mm-hmm. grounds that if you don't have people who will step up and defend that if that is not basically held sacred if it's not seen as part of your moral vision and held sacred by the people then the fact that you've asserted is it a right somewhere the fact that it happens to be occupying a piece of paper won't protect it from the state of exception the only thing that is going to prevent a you know a a sovereign from stepping in and violating that is a shared belief across you know the the the, Mm -hmm. the culture and the tradition that that is a uh, you know a bound too far you know think of you know the the romans and the dictator right dictator you know it's it's a temporary office until there's no longer kind of the 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 traditional will to hold that back and then it becomes something that's far that's far more expansive and i just feel like that's so hard for people to understand like even if you want to hold to this natural rights idea unless there's some kind of you know just mechanically if there's not that tradition that deep grounding of sacredness and understanding that right then it, it's it's not useful just to quote it at yeah, I, I, th- I think since we're referring to Carl Schmidt, I think Schmidt also makes an important distinction between legality and legitimacy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, legality is what you have in a sort of a, uh, a republic, sort of a, a legislative republic based on a document, a shared document. Um, and uh, obeying the law, be, you know, is legality and sort of by, uh, provides legitimacy. But it, it is not a kind that one could really bank on, as Schmidt would say. Uh, whereas the, the deeper source of legitimacy is different, and that is, you know, uh, being part of a, a nature with a, a nation with a shared culture, um, a, a form of government going back centuries, and so forth. Um, and even there, if you have uh, a dictatorship, a provisional dictator, uh, that person can rely on a certain kind of moral political consensus. Mm-hmm. Until he's able to address the the political crisis that has necessitated the dictatorship. So you mentioned uh, Alistair McIntyre there, and I thought that was interesting because you know one one of McIntyre's points in After Virtue is that uh, you have basically this loss of a shared language to even have moral discussions. Like that that's kind of the 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 big opening point that he has that we've lost any any ability to even. Uh, have a shared reference point for discussions to have the language to even mm-hmm. even investigate moral questions. And, you know, he kind of says that we, one of the issues that moral philosophy ran into when it hit the liberal tradition is it kind of, it eventually just abandoned this idea to find a completely rational basis for morality. And so it just kind of embraced the efficiency of managerialism. You know, it was kind of this Weberian uh, you know, something is right because it's efficient and because it produces regularly and, and and it can be kind of quantified and those kind of things. And I wonder what you think about the relationship between the expansion of human rights and the expansion of managerialism. Do those go hand in hand? Do they do the does the reliance on that uh, have to do with the way in which we've ordered society around these managerial apparatuses? Yeah, I think they go together. You know, I, I think one is the. Uh, uh, the, the proliferation of human rights is the natural consequence of living under an administrative regime that really has no moral legitimacy of any kind. 
other than providing services and somehow making everyone equal. Uh, managerial governments don't even, are not really uh, bound up with any kind of nation state. Um, I, I think what, what, one of the problems that I keep running into with uh, you know, people writing on, on, on this history of the state is they imagine the present managerial state is an extension of you know, governments set up by, by the new monarchies back in the 16th or 17th century. They're not. You know, they are, they're a form of government that, I, as I argue in my book, After Liberalism, they come into existence in the 20th century, and they just keep expanding. Uh, and they're not, they're not really um, tied to particular nations or peoples, and they can become universal. I mean, like the administrative state here has decided to become universal, so just opened up the borders. Let everybody come in. Right. You don't have to be a even pretend to be a nation state any longer. Uh, but what, one of the justifications for power uh, used by the administrative state is that it is uh, addressing the problem of human rights, right? Prejudice, discrimination, uh, treating people differently. Because, you know, in an ideal society, we'd have homogenization. Everybody would be treated the same. The German word Gleichschaltung applies here. You know, it's like everything is sort of put under the control, you know, of, of the same forces and, and made, and, and in the end, just homogenized. Uh, so I, I, I think the human rights ideology and managerialism go together. Yeah, and this result that we talked about this last time you were on, with, where, you, uh, where you talk about the therapeutic state and how this mm -hmm. becomes the reason that the state can enter into and, and interfere with all of these, what were you know, originally naturally sovereign areas, you know, other, other, other areas like the family, like the church, all of a sudden, because of this need to ameliorate all these different evils that violate human rights, uh, the, the state now has this ability to put everybody through these processes to make sure that they comply, you know, are, are, uh, you know, uh, respecting those universal notions of human rights. Yeah, that, that's, <clears throat> that, that's, that's sort of the nature of right. By the way, the October issue of Chronicles, has two essays by me, one on uh, precisely what we're talking about, the way the, the managerial state uh, digests, absorbs everything into its maw, everything <laughs> comes out the same. And the other is a long essay, a long sketch in Carl Schmidt. So, you know, I think some of your, read your listeners may find the, this reading to, to be of interest. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I think when the managerial regime was sort of created in the 20th century, it did not necessarily have to go in the direction in which it went, you know, and I, I think this is something which you find uh, foreshadowed in James Burnham's writing. I mean, it, it, the managerial state could serve a communist regime, a fascist regime, <clears throat> all kinds of regimes. Yet for some reason, the managerialism now has uh, uh, seems to go hand in hand with 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 the woke left, uh, with the woke left state church and with enforcing the dogmas of the of this church. Um, I don't think that there's any kind of historical inevitability about this, but hmm. uh, the uh, the managerial state is going to adopt an ideology that is consistent with its expansion. Yeah, see, that's yeah, that's what I've been exploring because I feel like Sam Francis was a particular very very hit this a lot in Leviathan and his enemies uh, on on kind of what proto wokeness how it mm -hmm. would be essential to the advance of managerialism how those things would would you know the cosmopolitan hedonistic nature of that was going to be necessary for the advancement so it feels 
you know, and, and I've also been speaking with someone who I haven't read enough Jacques Ellul myself to, to, to have a firm grasp on it. But it sounds like that's also something that he felt about kind of the managerial state and technique that the that kind of the way that it operates almost demands that we would actually move into this kind of uh, hyper progressivism, this universal wokeness, mm-hmm. because that would be what allowed those managerial structures to universalize in the widest possible sense. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely true. But, you know, I think as Burnham points out that the managerialism uh, also uh, uh, w- was able to uh, become associated with, uh, with with Nazism, fascism, communism, which are also universalist ideologies, sure. right? So, uh, and they plan to take over the world and have these uh, administrative state control them. Uh, it, the 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 one the ones who want win out are sort of the social democrats or the welfare state democrats, represented by the United States and England. <clears throat> um, but it, it could it could have developed differently. I, where Sam Francis and I obviously parted ways, and I don't think he ever forgave me for this deviation, um, is that uh, I believe that those who run the managerial therapeutic state believe what they're saying. I don't think it's just a, a they're giving a sort of a tool for dominating people. It's that too. But I, I think they're also saturated in the doctrines of, of wokeness, whatever they're supposed to believe. And to the extent that they have any system of belief, it's it's what they're now imposing on us. Yeah, Nima Parvini, uh, academic agent, and I have a similar disagreement. He, he We've got a few cigars writing on uh, on a bet on whether the, uh, the manager elite will be uh, able to put the woke away, as he says mm-hmm. it. Or whether they are true believers, and uh, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about my uh, my chance of uh, getting that box of cigars, but, but we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, I, I noticed Nima had wrote about this book in which uh, Sam Francis and I both figure prominently, but uh, I I think he leans he leans towards Sam's side, you know, in this debate. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious. No, he does absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, given I guess this understanding of natural rights being so central to kind of the modern conservative understanding of, of kind of where they are and how to push back and how to form a coalition. I guess the question, like, and you've said, you know, you don't have all the answers, so it's okay. This is a hard question, you know, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to pick your brain about it. What would, if particularism over universality, the, the understanding of the tradition is, is kind of the key to this, can there be, I guess, the international uh meeting of nationalists or you know like the, the universal understanding of the need for tradition because i see a lot of like n- the, the natural conservatism conference and things like yoram hazoni they're looking i think for a way to create to forward that would create the ability for uh, a na- you know nationalism or traditions to re-emerge and be particular but it feels like there needs to be a, a wider coalition outside of indiv- any individual tradition or nation to establish that because the current order is already universalist. Yeah, you know, Hegel believed that the nation state was sort of the ultimate form taken by the world spirit, the ultimate political form, uh, but the nation states would remain in conflict. There'd be wars between them and so forth. Um, I think many modern Hegelians have gone, taken the view that the nation state is, is sort of the highest political form or the one that is the most fulfilling for us. Um, but at the same time, nation states can can survive um, while cooperating. You know, the I think it was the goal spoke about a Europe of nations or of nation states rather than this uh, 
uh, glob, you know, woke glob that the uh, European Union has now become. Um, and you know, I, I, I think I think that is entirely possible. I think the national conservatives may be correct, although I don't see the United States as a nation. I mean, that's one yeah, of my. That's, it was a nation at one time. Uh, it has become, you know, it's sort of a, it's sort of a, a collection of minorities, you know, controlled by a managerial state and uh, subject to the market. Um, but you know, certainly Lithuanians, Poles, uh, Germans, if they weren't so crazy, you know, and uh, stop hating themselves, they could be a nation. Italians, all kinds of other people, Israelis. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, there's nations all over. The Scots are a nation, even if the Irish. Uh, so there are there are nations, but I I think that nations do, particularly in the West, where they have a common Judeo-Christian tradition, I think they can cooperate, you know, and uh, their traditionalism, uh, obviously, their traditionalisms overlap, you know, and uh, I think there's certainly possible for cooperation, even if there's economic competition, which which will go on. Uh, so I, I I have hope for nation states, although as I said, I. I don't think nationalism is the answer in the United States. You know, I think we're well beyond that point. Uh, in the United States, I'd like to see regionalism if it's still possible. But the, the the centralized state and the conservative movement, you know, is certainly complicit in this. Have pretty much destroyed regionalism. Uh, yeah, they're no friend to it either. Yeah, I, I mean, you cannot go on beating up on the white South all the time and say you're in favor of regionalism. Uh, you know, the only regionalism they seem to to accept is Martin Luther King or something, you know, as our common savior um, or Lincoln, you know, it's nice appeal to Lincoln. And it's always, you know, what's held, what holds America together is human, is natural right or human rights or something like that. Um, but I, I, th I, think re I think regionalism is a, uh, a, a, a much more feasible, you know, alternative to what we have right now. Um, if regions can assume some kind of identity uh, in the United States, uh, and in the case of smaller countries that have existed for long, I'm, I'm all in favor. Of, I'm all in favor of you know Baltic countries being nationalist. Um, I'm not terribly happy with Russian nationalism. I have to tell you because the the Russians seem to have an, part of their nationalism in, in, involves an appetite for uh, border countries that border them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> they they try to occupy and take over. Uh, so I, I, I think we have to be on guard against uh, national aggression, which I think is still a problem in some places. Um, but I'd be very happy to see, you know, nation states reasserting their identity. And in the United States, I, you know, I believe in a, in a strong, healthy regionalism. So you mentioned Russia there, and that's kind of interesting because I was about to ask you about Alexander Dugan. So in his fourth political theory and then other places, Dugan... Mm -hmm speaks uh, quite a bit about how he feels that nations are basically uh, unable, unable to push back against kind of a global empire. And so mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. basically you'll need a, a civilizational, like bas basically multipolarity through large empires. It seems. You seems know, I, I think it's, it, it, the part of Dugan I don't like is his hatred for the West. Yeah. You know, and his uh, Russian nationalism, uh, pan, a kind of pan-Slavic nationalism that he asserts. And I have read a lot of Dugan, uh, and I'm not terribly sympathetic to him, although people very often identify uh, in terms of our thoughts. But, uh, you know, I do, not, I do not like the form that his Russian nationalism takes. Um, and his rejection of the West, you know, as being uh, somehow perpetually um, 
perpetually materialistic going back to the Middle Ages <clears throat> or something I think is very simplistic. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I find some valuable things in Dugan. I think he has a, a, a decent grasp of, of some uh, important ideas. But the fact that, like you said, he just had, it's very clear his hatred his he's dripping with hatred for the West. It seem, seems, seems to want total Anglo death on a, on a pretty regular basis. And so uh, I, I always tell people there there's value in Dugan, but he's not your friend. This is not a guy. Who's yeah, no. And, and, and he seems to prefer Muslims, Yeah, you know, and, and the Chinese communists to the West. Right. Um, it's uh, he does have a very low opinion of Western civilization, uh, even though he did write a very good book on Martin Heidegger. Uh, which I, I helped in the translation. Well, I uh, I helped in the translation of the Greek terms. Uh, my mm. Russian isn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, before we start uh, going, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you you spoke about regionalism in the United States. Uh, this is something that I have also uh, pointed to a decent amount whenever people ask me how I think things are going to go. You know, obviously a lot of people, a, a very spicy term that people like to throw around, even even some of the mainstream conservatives, mm -hmm. is a national divorce. You know, they talk about national divorce and and uh, how we need a national divorce and whether this could happen. Uh, a lot of people get angry about that. They say that's unrealistic. That's silly. Other people say, look, it's absolutely necessary. I always explained it this way and just kind of get your idea of what you think about it. I always say, look, I don't think there's ever going to be a actual declaration of kind mm -hmm. of formal secession between any of these places anytime soon. I don't I don't think that's going to be a thing that people need to focus on. But as the federal government becomes more inept and it becomes clear that regional governments are more capable in many ways and, and can create better standards of living and, and, and uh, you know, have better shared moral visions than a unified federal government you're just going to see people like say maybe ron DeSantis or you know other yeah. governors just say yeah we're, we're just not going to do that you know it's nice that you made your ruling but now enforce it and and kind of as that goes you'll start to see regional identities emerge more in that way rather than some kind of formal national divorce along any any kind of uh, real breakup of the united states i agree with you uh the real breakup the, the, the kind of uh, apocalyptic breakup that people are hoping for um, it's not going to go very well for our side mm -hmm. because the other side has all the armed might that it needs to crush it very easily. Um, and of course, the media will side with the central state, which is carrying out its woke leftist agenda. Um, and the people who will be seceding will necessarily be on the right. So, you know, you have, you have to be very subtle. And I agree that DeSantis is doing whatever is possible, uh, given the existing political circumstances. But it will have to be done very cleverly over a long period of time. Um, uh, I, I, I do think people are sort of sorting themselves out that way, right? I mean, there's some areas, yeah. red states in which people are moving and <clears throat> the people like living in blue areas like my kids, you know, who do not share my, my political views at all. And, uh, you know, they opt for, for blue states. And um, I'm, I'm living in a... Uh, a right-wing enclave in a very, very blue state, which is Pennsylvania, which I don't think is purple anymore. I think it's turned blue. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the area in which I live is very conservative. Um, and so I, I think well, not, not, it will also be enclaves within other regions that try to assert their identity. It's, it's not going to be as simple in terms of large blocks as it was in 1861, even though the South got creamed in that war. But, you know, they did, they did have a unified block on their side. And we're probably we might have, you know, some of these uh, flyover states, you know, which <laughs> which act for us. But um, 
uh, I think we're going to have a lot of these enclaves that try to survive within within blue states. No, I think that's right. Yeah, I, I don't think the cohesive geography exists uh, at this point. And so mm -hmm. I think that does change things. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up, guys. Let me go to our Super Chats real quick. I don't think there's any questions, but just some some nice things said. I'll run those down real quick. Uh, just a Super Chat for $10 or 10 pounds, rather. Thank you very much, <laughs> sir. Oh, now he has a question here or he has a statement. Uh, I cannot uh, stay, but we'll look forward to this podcast in the tractor tomorrow. Excellent, sir. Glad, glad you are listening as you work. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things to do as well when it comes to podcasts I enjoy. And then Enlightened Despot here for 10 Canadian. Thank you for keeping the discussion going on natural law issues. People don't like it, but it is key. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, we are going to go ahead and wrap this up. But thank you once again, Dr. Godfrey, for coming on. Everybody, please make sure you're checking out Chronicles Magazine. Sounds like there are some excellent articles that mm -hmm. you should be reading from Dr. Godfrey there this month. Thank you very much for having me. No, thank you. And of course, guys, if it's your first time on the channel, please make sure that you go ahead and subscribe. And if you'd like to get these broadcasts as podcasts, you can subscribe to the Oren McIntyre show on your favorite podcast platform. All right. Thank you, everybody, for coming by. And as always, I'll talk to you next time.